Good morning. Uh, a few announcements uh, for this week. Friday's gonna be a really, a really fun day on campus. Um, we've had a lot of students saying, I need to see an animal. I don't know if you're one of them, um, but for, for we're doing an event Friday evening at 5.30 at the gazebo called Fall for Fall. We're gonna have a petting zoo there uh, and painting pumpkins and stuff. So no, if you're just like craving petting a little pig or, or whatever else will be there, uh, join us Friday evening at 5.30. Uh, after that at 7 is, is, is going to be a really great night. Uh, a few clubs are coming together, Upper Room, uh, FCA, New Song, the BSU are all coming together to do a night of praise and worship. And it's going to be from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Reeves Field. Um, and, and it's, it's just this, this idea of what we want, right? We want a, a, a vision of unity on this campus where we're all coming together no matter our tra tradition here in chapel, we're doing that outside. How, how can we continue to live out these kingdom values together? So come join us uh, uh, Friday evening at 7, 7 p.m. on Reeves Field. All right, let's enjoy a song from New Song. Oh. As I said, good morning and welcome to chapel. Um, I don't know about you, but this is the time in the semester where I need a couple of reminders, right? And so, so here's, here's my reminders to you this morning. Uh, take a breath. Um, look outside. It's beautiful. Um, remember, you can do this. You got this. Listen to Jesus and shut out all those other voices. Be courageous in your relationships, love each other well, and breathe. All right, so those are just some reminders for you today. 
I pray that, that as we enter chapel, your hearts would be open, your minds would be ready to engage, um, because we've got a good God. So let's, let's read the Apostles' Creed together. Please stand if you're able. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. morning. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time and this place where we get to come together as a community and talk about and worship you, the one true, holy, infinite God. Father, this morning, as always, when I look around our broken world, I see the anxiety and I see the loneliness and the bitterness and the strife and the rage and I am saddened and afraid for us. But then this morning, as I lifted my eyes to heaven, I saw the majestic fall colors that declare your artistry and they declare your glory and they mimic the many unique and beautiful faces that we have here on our campus and through our world that you've created for us. I remember that you alone are in control and I remember that you alone, O oh Lord, can make us lie down in safety. And for this, we are grateful. Father, we are grateful for the way that you sustain us and the way you provide for us. Through our leaders, through our colleagues, through our mentors, and through our friends on this campus and our families at home. And I am in awe that while we are not worthy to gather up the crumbs under your table, you not only sustain us here and provide for us, but you call us sons and daughters. You call us sons and daughters through Christ who laid his life down for us so that we can come to you through him. Father, I humbly ask you to continue to sustain us on this campus and in our families and in our friendships um, as we finish out the semester. And I ask this in your son's holy name. Amen. Would you please join me in saying the <clears throat> our Father? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you.
Romans 9, 10 through 18. And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. The Lord's perfect and total sovereignty is just one of the reasons he is worthy of all of our praise and all of our worship. And we find that in Psalm 135. So let's stand together and read this portion of Psalm 135 together. Would you read with me? Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, Geneva. It's good to be with you again. Uh, as has already been mentioned, this is one of the most picturesque times uh, in Beaver Falls with uh, trees changing color, the hills are filled with color. Um, take a moment to enjoy that and appreciate the beauty of God. It is easy to be overwhelmed with all the things that are, aren't going well or aren't going right in this world. Uh, take a moment to just bask in the beauty of God. Um, I am hopeful that um, throughout this time, uh, my, my voice will remain uh, this octave. I realize you in this room didn't get to hear this last time, but toward the end of uh, my time up here last time, my, my voice dropped an octave, which, you know, that might happen again, but, you know, hopefully you can work through that. Uh, but we'll see what happens. Uh, the most important thing about you is what you believe about God, what you believe about God. Do you believe that? Uh, that's the reason why we're working through these concepts about who God is. And take, uh, today we're taking a look at one of the more controversial but incredibly comforting uh, characteristics of God, that he is sovereign. And we've already read some passages that speak of this characteristic. Uh, in some places, he's referred to simply as the sovereign or the sovereign Lord. And if you want to read more up on the sovereignty of God, a book that really helped me was a book by A.W. Pink, simply called the sovereignty of God, uh, a powerful book there. You have in your bulletin 
Uh, the first 12 verses of Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, no, on the back. Yes, you do have it. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, you see God's sovereign control and power throughout these verses, but I'm actually just going to read the last two verses, verses uh, 11 and 12. So listen as I read. Uh, This is God's word. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That's where we'll end the reading of God's holy word. May we see the wonders and the comforts found in his sovereign control. I grew up watching a show called Hogan's Heroes, and I realized that that is a number of generations ago since you guys have come along. And so uh, you may not have even heard of this show, but it was a sitcom about a a group of uh, prisoners in a prisoner of war camp in Germany during World War II. Uh, This POW camp was also known as Stalag 13, and it was considered one of the most secure POW camps in all of Germany. And that's very surprising because the camp is run by a bumbling, gullible commandant named Colonel Klink and his right-hand man, Sergeant Schultz. But yet, in over 100 attempts, no one had successfully escaped Stalag Stalag 13. Uh, You see, the camp was located in a very strategic part of Germany, and uh, Colonel Hogan, who was the ranking POW officer, he actually ran a secret base for the Allies out of that POW camp. And although Colonel Klink was the commandant, uh, it was actually Colonel Hogan, the POW, who was in charge of that camp, and he didn't let anyone escape so that they could carry out their subversive activities. And in every episode, somehow, uh, Colonel Hogan tricks Colonel Klink and Sergeant Schultz to, do, to have them do exactly what he wanted them to do. Uh, They thought that they were in charge, but it was actually Colonel Hogan who ran the show. Uh, Oftentimes, it's not obvious who's in charge of the world. You know, in many homes, although mom and dad are the parents, uh, oftentimes it's the kids running the show. Uh, In church, it might be the the pastor and elders who are thought to be in charge, but uh, sometimes it's, you know, the biggest donor or the longest standing member who's calling the shots. Uh, all of you, uh, Lord willing, will get to experience uh, Dr. Nykirk's poli-sci class. And in that poli-sci class, he appoints a sovereign of the class. And that is a huge name for someone who has almost no power. You might think that you're as the sovereign in control, but really it's Dr. Nykirk who's in charge. Or think of our country. Who's really in charge of our country? Uh, is it the president? Is it the Supreme Court? Is it the people? Uh, If you read up on the internet, you can read all kinds of crazy conspiracy theorists. Uh, Apparently, there was actually a survey in 2016 that revealed that 12 million, it's hard for me to believe this, but I don't know what surveys say, 12 million people believe, uh, people in the U.S. believe that interstellar lizards, aliens disguised in people suits, actually run the world. So who's really in charge? It's important to think about this on the largest scale. Who's really in charge of this world? Who's actually calling the shots? Uh, 
You know, on a personal level, we might say that, you know, we're the ones in charge of our own lives. We all live independent lives, uh, ultimately doing our own thing. And so we're not really under the sovereign control of anyone. And you know what? Sometimes that seems to be true. I do what I want. Uh, Others, though, uh, many Christians included, would say that although God reigns in heaven, it's Satan who reigns here on earth. He's the prince of the power of the air. And, And you can see why a lot of people believe that. Because there are lots of things, bad things that happen in this life, and that must be the work of Satan. If you reflect on the last 120 years of our own country, it's filled with unprecedented war and hatred and genocide, and you combine that with uh, famine and disease and natural disasters. Uh, you look at uh, the, the deterioration of the core unit of marriage and the family, and you look at this history and you see it sounds like the work of Satan. And you can understand why people come to that conclusion. Satan seems to be in charge here. Who's in charge? Well, the Bible, very simply, as I just read, tells us that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. He works all things, all things, according to the counsel of his will. And that, very simply, is what it means to be sovereign. All things according to his will. God is in complete control, which gives us great comfort as God's people, knowing that the world is not spiraling out of control. And it means that what happens in your life day after day is actually all a part of God's good, perfect, and loving plan down to the very detail. And so as Christians, we can declare using the words of Psalm 97, verse 1, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Rejoice, people of God, for he is sovereign. As we think about the sovereignty of God, I want to think about it in three different categories. And in each, different, in each of these three categories, we're going to reflect on how Uh, God's sovereignty in this area can cause great difficulty for us and at the same time fill us with great comfort. So the first category is creation. God is sovereign in creation. This is pretty straightforward. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and are created. God created everything as he wanted to, according to his good plan. And you know, God could have created whatever he wanted. He could have created one world or a million worlds. He could have created three stars in the sky or a billion stars in the sky. He could have created one form of life that's equal in every way, or he could have created countless life forms that are vastly different. But the point is, he created what he wanted, how he wanted and when he wanted, and no one could stop him. And with this supreme uh, sovereign power, he simply spoke and the world came into existence. That is sovereign power. Now, no Bible-believing Christian is going to debate this point, but when you think about it, it actually does cause us quite a bit of trouble when you look around the world and see the staggering inequalities around us. There's staggering inequality around the world. Um, There are parts of the world that are fertile and overflowing with life, like the Amazon rainforest. 
Then there are other parts of the world that are virtually barren, like Antarctica and the Sahara Desert. It just doesn't seem fair, creating one part of the world with way more resources and fertility than another part of the world. Or you think about the, the plant kingdom. Some plants live for centuries. Uh, the spectacular giant sequoias in uh, uh, Northern California, some of them are thousands of years old. But then there are other plants that spring up in the spring and then die off in the fall. And then still there are other plants that grow up one day and are dead the next day. It just sort of seems unfair. That's not equal. What do you think about the animal kingdom? God created some animals with great majesty and glory, like the lion or the bald eagle or the killer whale. And then there are some animals that are just downright ugly, like slugs or the blobfish. You ever Googled the blobfish? It's hard to believe that something like that actually exists. You can Google it maybe um, after this, but it's hard to believe that some of these things actually exist. It's so ugly, and it just seems so unfair. Uh, you think of uh, the blue whale that lives for about 150 years and the mayfly that lives for 24 hours. Or what? think about the, the lights in the sky. Uh, the sun has this blinding glory, and the moon is bright, and then you see the north star, and uh, sometimes you can see other stars at night, but you and I, we haven't even noticed 99.99999% of the stars in the sky. God created the bright sun. He also created the dim star that you and I will never notice. And that seems unfair. And then you think about the inequalities in the human race. And this is where it sort of becomes even more apparent. God created some people healthy and strong, others weak and sickly, some very short and stout, others very tall and slender. Some he created with great beauty, others not so attractive. He created some with incredible gifts, that seem to succeed in everything they do. Others, it's hard to even find the gift that God give, gave them. He gifted some people with red hair, other people with boring brown hair. And uh, I realize I've sort of slipped into the uh, boring brown hair category now. I used to have red hair, but now I've shifted. So God created this world with staggering inequality. Why? It just seems unfair. But what the sovereignty of God tells us is that God created this spectrum. He created both the brilliant sun as well as the dim star, the lion and the blobfish, both the Amazon rainforest and the Sahara Desert, all for his glory. And what that tells us then is that the goal of his creation wasn't necessarily equality. It was his glory. And that's where we find our encouragement and comfort in God's sovereignty and creation. What this means is that God created you exactly the way you are for his glory. And I confess in my own life, I've struggled comparing myself to others, being envious about what they had. I wish I had his gift. I wish I had, I looked like this person. I wish I had the success, the popularity like they have. I wish I was more funny, I was more athletic or smarter like these people over here. And the comparison game seemed to taint every aspect of my life. And even when I entered into the ministry and still remain in the ministry, I can struggle when I see other people doing things so much better, more gifted, more popular. And so it's this huge comfort 
and a great settling power when I realized that God didn't create me to be them. He created me to be me and you to be you. And when you understand that God created you exactly as you are, with your gifts, with your looks, with your brains, it sets you free from comparison so that you can glorify God the way he intended you to. You know, the dim star that no one notices might be envious of the glory of the sun. And, and he might think, you know, I wish I was like that. But God didn't create the dim star to be the sun. He created the dim star to shine dimly for his glory. The truth is that we're a campus full of dim stars. Most likely, you're not going to be remembered after you die. Most likely, you're not going to make some lasting impact that's going to be written up in history books for centuries to come. I recognize that my sermons probably won't be listened to in 100 years. We're dim stars that very few people will notice. And you could waste your life wishing that you could be the sun. But God didn't create you to be the sun. He created you to be a dim star. Don't waste your life comparing yourself to others, wishing that you could be like them, but simply make it your goal in life to be the best dim star you can be, all for the glory of God. So that's the first category. God is sovereign in creation. The second category is, is uh, providence. God is sovereign in providence. Now, we don't use the word providence very often in our day-to-day conversations, so we need to define it. The providence of God means that God not only created all things, but he actually controls all things, everything. So it works out exactly, precisely according to his good plan. God is in complete control of his creation. We're told that he's in control of these life-altering, world-altering events like the setting up of kings and establishing of kingdoms, and then he disposes of them, which is what he says in Daniel 2.21. And that means that God is going to be the one who determines the outcome of our presidential election in three weeks. But he's also in charge of the seemingly insignificant details of life, like when the common sparrow dies, as we're told in Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and yet not one of them falls to the ground dead apart from the will of God. So he controls the small things, like where you're sitting right now and the clothes you have on and what you're going to eat at lunch and who you're going to hang out with tonight and where the ant finds food and where a bird nests. He controls all those things. He's also in control of terrible disasters like the outbreak of a pandemic or the cause of an earthquake. Isaiah 45, 7 says, God says, I bring prosperity. I create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. It's easy to try to let God off the hook as if we're doing him a favor when disaster strikes and say, well, no, this isn't God's work. This isn't, God isn't, he didn't want these things to happen. This is the work of Satan, obviously. But here we're told in Isaiah 45, 7, I bring prosperity and I create disaster. God's in control, ultimately. Consider the power and attention that the providence of God takes. You know, I have trouble doing two things at once, unless one of them's walking. But even then, I'll probably take a wrong turn or, or trip. 
but God can give his full attention to every single molecule and every single atom and every single cell in your body and every single plant and animal and person and every single planet and galaxy all at the same time. He guides the steps of every ant, the wiggle of every worm, the flap of every tail of every krill in the ocean. And at the same time, he's entirely focused, giving his entire focus on you, orchestrating your life, guiding your steps according to his grand plan. That's staggering. John MacArthur said, miracles are understandable in a sense where God just sort of injects his power for a moment. But the sovereignty of God is mind-boggling. He's in control of all things at all times. Now, this causes a big dilemma in our minds, lots of big dilemmas, which we're not going to deal with all today. But uh, one of the biggest dilemmas is that if God is in control, the Bible, and God is loving, which the Bible teaches both, then how did sin enter the world in trouble? Why do so many bad things happen? Why would God do the things that he does in this world, like a pandemic? Well, in Romans 8, 28, God said that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Now, I don't pretend to understand the details of God's plan or why he does what he does. But what I do know and what the Bible teaches is that God controls all things, even orchestrating bad things to happen in order to bring out your greatest good, and his greatest glory. We can go around and comparing the life circumstances that we all have and see great inequalities, but it isn't about equality so much as it is your good and the glory of God. Think about this in the work of the cross. The greatest example of this is that from before time began, God planned for his son to be crucified. This was the worst act, the most heinous act in human history. Satan was powerfully effective in the world at that time. And through the power of Satan, mankind killed Jesus, the Son of God. But yet that was God's plan, and God used Satan even to carry out his plan, and much like Colonel Hogan, just manipulating Colonel Clink to accomplish his purposes, God uses even the work of Satan to bring out your good. He makes it backfire every single time in your life so that you see the glory of God. You know, you may struggle with what, how your life is, is working out so far. You may struggle with the providences of God in your life and the things that you've endured, and you've endured some awful things. I understand that. But this reality should fill you with hope that God can take even the darkest acts of human wickedness and overrule them in such a way that it will bring about your greatest good and his greatest glory. You think of a mother who takes her one-year-old daughter to the doctor for a vaccination, and the daughter has no idea what's going on. She's one-year-old, and she walks into the doctor's office, and she's smiling, and she has no idea what's about to happen. And and then to her horror, her, her mother holds her down and stab, has this perfect stranger stab her repeatedly, and the look on her face is complete betrayal. Like, how could you do this? I thought you loved me. 
What she didn't know is that her mom was doing it precisely because she loved her. Sometimes we can look at God with this expression of betrayal. What are you doing, God? I thought you loved me. The pain in your life doesn't make sense. The, the things that have been done to you don't make sense. And we can't explain the details of why. But you can trust that what he's doing, although it causes great pain, he's doing it ultimately to do good to you so that you'll see his glory. The providence of God should give you great comfort in every circumstance, recognizing that Satan's not in control. The events of your life are not random and meaningless. You're not here by accident, but God in his good providence promises to work all things together for your good and his glory. And you can trust him. So God is sovereign in creation, sovereign in providence, and lastly, he's sovereign in salvation. And by that, I mean that he alone decides who will be saved and who will not be saved. That is a hard pill to swallow. But that's exactly what it says in Romans 9. Paul explains this concept through example, through a few examples. He first points out that Jacob and Esau were brothers, twins, and yet while they were still in the womb before they had done anything bad or good, God said, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. God chose Jacob and not Esau. And he didn't choose Jacob because of his moral integrity, because Jacob didn't have moral integrity. He was a lying thief. But he did so because God does what he wants to do. And then Paul points out in the life of Pharaoh that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, even in the face of 10 plagues. God said, or he said that God raised up Pharaoh for this purpose, to display his power by destroying him and his country. And Paul's conclusion is this, a God will have mercy on whomever he wants and, and he will harden whomever he wants. It's this aspect of the sovereignty of God that, that, uh, that, that, that invokes the most cries of injustice. That's not fair. How could he do that? I had a friend in college here uh, who said that I, I just couldn't believe in a God who would do that. And Paul offers that objection. Is this unfair? Should we call God unjust? But he answers that objection to say, does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some for noble purpose and other for common use? Does not God have the right to do what he wants in his creation? but still it seems unfair. Why would God choose some and, and condemn others? So Paul continues, he says, what if God wanted to show his glory through the destruction of some in order to reveal his glory all the more by showing mercy to others? What's the bottom line that he's getting at here? The bottom line is that no matter, this is not, the sovereignty of God is not a matter of equality and fairness. That shouldn't be our greatest concern. But the thing that is of utmost importance is the glory of God. It's all about the glory of God. So we'd see the glory of God. That's true in all three aspects of his sovereignty. It's not about fairness. It's about the glory and majesty of God. And you know what? That's the best thing that he could do for us. 
His goal is to reveal his glory to you. If he loves you, he's gonna reveal his glory to you. And is he gonna use all those, all those aspects of life, all those troubles and trials, all those difficulties that you face, he's gonna use all those things to reveal himself to you more and more. And the more he reveals himself to you, the more you are compelled to fall down before him and worship. If you know Jesus Christ by faith, if you trust in the one who lived and died and rose again to conquer our greatest enemies, then you should be in awe that God chose out of all of people in all the world and all of history, he chose to show you his love and mercy. God spared you his wrath in order to show the whole world the glory of his mercy and love. It's not about fairness, ultimately. And we can have a discussion about fairness. That's not the point here. But God is sovereign in creation, providence, and salvation to show his glory, which is our greatest good. So who is in control? Who's really in control? You know, it appeared that Colonel Clink was in control of Stalag 13, but really it was Colonel Hogan who was running the show. And he simply used Colonel Clink as a pawn to accomplish his purposes. In many ways, it may appear like Satan's in control in your life, wreaking havoc, but God is overruling. And that gives us great comfort. It's true that Satan is active and he's a roaring lion seeking to devour and you need to be on guard against him. But God is the one in control. And he's doing all these things to show his greatest glory for your greatest good. Through faith in Jesus, you can bow before this sovereign God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And if you bow to Jesus, you can take great comfort in the, in the fact that he has your greatest good in mind and his glory as the goal of all things. Uh, one of the great recurring comforts of the Bible is that despite the way things appear on the earth, despite the chaos that breaks out, you don't have to be afraid because the holy God is on his holy throne, ruling and reigning. You don't have to run for the hills. You don't have to try to hide. You don't have to build a bunker under the earth somewhere. You can remain confident. Our Lord reigns so that you will see his glory. Take heart, people of God. Our sovereign Lord reigns. Let's pray. Our sovereign God, we acknowledge that we're not in control of our lives, and we acknowledge that you are. You have power to do whatever you want, and no one can stop you. And as we deal with the reality of life and hurt and pain in a cursed world, we don't make sense of the things that you do, the things that you allow, but we simply reaffirm our trust that even though you slay us, we will trust in you. Help us to understand the depths of your love, that it's bigger than we can imagine, and help us to rest peacefully in your arms, trusting you to do every good thing in every good circumstances. All glory, honor, and power belongs to you. It's through faith in Jesus that we pray. Amen.